Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert will east filling in for the vacationing rhino back in super talk headquarters studios we'll be guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on location today we have relocated the element wealth studios to just south of starkville mississippi we're here for the let's see the mid-south i believe that's what it's called i want to make sure i get that right yeah the Mid-South Forestry Equipment Show. That's what we're here for today. That's where they got, well, all this big old equipment out here that they use in the logging and forestry industries, which are huge industries, of course, in the state of Mississippi. This is brought to you by the Mississippi Loggers Association and the Mississippi Foresters Association. They are the sponsors of today's event. Uh, beautiful weather out here today, Will. What's it like down there? It's very nice. It's, uh, you know, about, I don't know, 85 degrees outside, 80, 80 degrees, something like that. Clear skies as of right now. So no rain, of course. Yep. Uh, but yep. it is nice. Yeah. Well, we're getting close to fall, as you know. Well, officially, right, that ends tomorrow, I believe, the uh, summer. And we launch into the next uh, equinox. I think that's true. The autumnal equinox, as they call it. I remember being here two years ago, Will. It was uh, it was humid, and it was overcast. It was a bit wet, a little different uh, environment today from a weather perspective. It is fascinating to walk around here and see this gigantic equipment. I mean, folks, it's big. It's huge. Very sophisticated, very high-tech. Really has changed this industry dramatically, and, of course, it's part of, I think, you could say the agricultural industry in our state which is a huge huge part of it uh so we're glad to be here today we got an incredible lineup on slate today in the next segment tyler mccon i see him just a few feet from our tent here mississippi senator from district 31 represents lauderdale newton and scott counties he's the chair of the senate forestry committee vice chair of the agricultural committee so it is appropriate that we have him on the show today john owl show manager of the mid-south forestry equipment show after that or later on in the hour i should say senator daniel smarks sparks from up there in appalachia 
as I like to call it. Uh, he, of course, represents Itawamba, Prentice, and Tishomingo counties, so serves as the vice chair of the Senate Corrections Committee. Dana McLean, Representative Dana McLean, has lounge in Monroe counties in her district. She'll be on at 1120. David Livingston, Executive Director of the Mississippi Loggers Association. Dr. Wes Berger, Associate Director of the Mississippi Agriculture and Forestry Experiment Station and the Forest and Wildlife Research Center joins us at 11.50. At 12.05, it's Senator Bart Williams, Vice Chair of the Senate Technology Committee. This is his patch as well. Jennifer Branning represents District uh, 18, serves as the Chair of the Highways and Transportation Committee, also Vice Chair of Judd A. Committee. And then we'll wrap things up today with Casey Anderson, Executive Director of Mississippi Foresters Association, and Butch Bailey, President of the Mississippi Forestry Association. So, so a jam-packed uh, schedule for today. Lots of folks we'll be talking to. Ought to yeah, be fun. And uh, some big news breaking yesterday afternoon in the state of Mississippi. Yeah. Uh, from the governor, I was uh, I was off site off yesterday and actually got to to uh, consume the governor's uh, press conference, his announcement live. I was uh, speaking to the Mississippi Society of CPAs. This was actually their health care conference, their annual health care conference. So it is designed uh, for uh, CPAs, public accountants that uh, work in the health care industry, that have health care clients, hospitals among them. And so the governor came on, what, about 2.10, 2.05 yesterday, I think, and we watched, uh, did the group, watch the governor's announcement live, and then uh, I was uh, just after the governor and spoke. So the governor preempted me yesterday, <laughs> yesterday, well, uh, but that's okay. So uh, consume that um, that press conference, and, and the bottom line, folks, is that the uh, the state of Mississippi, through the Division of Medicaid, is presenting a proposal to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, CMS, that governs the Medicaid, oversees the Medicaid program in the United States. Each state, of course, has its own nuances and oversees its own Medicaid program. It is a joint federal and state program, meaning that the, the state picks up part of the cost of it. The federal government picks up the lion's share of the cost, minimum 50%. The state of Mississippi receives the highest federal match. The federal federal match is called FMAP. The, um, the highest federal match at about 74, 75%. The state of Mississippi picks up the remaining 25%. The combined, by the way, the combined cost of this program Almost $6 billion in the state of Mississippi, about five to and a half of that uh, money. It's actually approaching $7 billion now, about five and a half to $6 billion coming from the federal government. So what the governor announced yesterday is uh, really a proposal to the federal government to increase the reimbursement levels, both the fee-for-service program, that just pays you by fee, by service, and then there's also the managed care option, uh, which the state of Mississippi uses, and that's basically paying a third party to oversee and manage the Medicare program. And in that program, we actually pay uh, 
we actually pay the uh, the managed care provider what's called capitation, which is just the amount and a set amount we pay t uh, for the number of people enrolled in the program. It's just here's the amount of money you're going to get per enrollee. It's your job to figure out how to manage that money and, of course, spend it, which means reimbursing for services for those people in it. So the bottom line, what the governor announced is this is going to net just under $700 million uh, to health care providers in the state of Mississippi. It's really under two programs, under these two payment initiatives. Again, the first is just an increase in the amount of money going to the managed care portion of Medicaid. The other is an increase in the rates under the fee-for-service program. The governor said that this was the culmination of efforts from a number of health care leaders, the Division of Medicaid, uh, insurers, etc that are involved in the Medicaid program and health care in general in the state of Mississippi and actually shared did the governor the amount of money on an annual basis each of the various uh, major hospitals in the state or uh, some are major some are smaller in the rural areas would receive so for example the University of Mississippi Medical Center would get over 66 million dollars or a 50 percent increase in the amount of funding they receive from Medicaid. Forest General Hospital, a very large healthcare institution in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, would receive a 337% increase, or $53 million. Singing River, $34 million, on down the list. Interesting, the one that we focused on a lot uh, here is because they're, they're so close, unfortunately, to folding, which is Greenwood LaFleur Hospital. You know, we've had Mayor Carolyn McAdams on the program a few times discussing the plight, the economic plight of Greenwood LaFleur. It will receive $10 million or a 138% increase. However, when we've shared the financial statements of Greenwood LaFleur Hospital, keep in mind they've been averaging in the last three years losing 21 to 22 million dollars a year on revenues of this year under a hundred million is what they're on track uh, to produce. So this does certainly um, offset some of those losses. Just keep in mind folks this is not expansion of Medicaid in terms of uh, what we, we typically refer to as Medicaid expansion, which adds a coverage group that would be able-bodied adults with incomes below 138% of the federal poverty level. This simply expands the amount of payments, of reimbursements that uh, will be provided to those um, in the healthcare industry, it's all it really does here. So it's just an increase in those. This has to be signed off on and approved by the federal government. An interesting aspect of this, so that you'll know, the state of Mississippi, its share of this additional reimbursement will be handled, will be covered, will be funded by the hospitals. So the state of Mississippi will, will not incur any general fund increases as uh, as payment for its part, the state's part. We're stepping aside for a break right here. More on that later on when we return. It's Tyler McCon, the senator from District 31. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well Studios just south of Starkville, Mississippi.
talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it's middays we are live just south of starkville mississippi we're here for the 35th annual mid-south forestry equipment show and there's some big old equipment out there i guarantee you we welcome to the program now senator tyler mccon he represents lauderdale newton and scott counties serves as the chair of the senate forestry committee and vice chair of the senate agriculture committee so senator welcome to the program this is right up your alley here isn't it? <laughs> it's so good to be here gerard this is an amazing event and in and in the forestry era, you come out here today and you see the number of people and the number of students that are here that are out here just looking and seeing what forestry has to offer in the state of Mississippi. Unfortunately, you know, we're not number two this year. Soybeans bumped us this okay. year. So, but we are number three. So one, two, three, you know, we're one of the greatest assets we've got in the state, the, the forest pre products resources that we've got out there. No doubt about it. And you're so right and, and uh, good to mention that we've got lots of students. You see the yellow dog school bus is lined up out here bringing the students in in fact when i parked about 30 minutes ago that's all i saw going into the expo were students and so they're getting exposed to the industry and it has certainly changed quite a bit as a result of advances in technology um, i'm just blown away by how sophisticated some of this equipment is oh man if you go out there and you look at some of these skitters and some of this equipment that's out there you know they, they might as well be sitting in an air conditioner playing a video game because that's what it comes down to this stuff is so high-tech now and, and that's what's had to happen it's had to evolve the industry's evolved ag in general forestry have both evolved to levels that are uh, totally different from what we remember uh, coming up but uh, but it's not like having the chainsaw and going out there with the, the pulpwood truck and, and, and loading it and, and taking it to market so true <laughs> so and the point there is it not senators that there are job opportunities and they're good paying jobs in this industry good paying jobs you know when I got appointed chair I started going around the state to to our uh, our logger associations and our forestry associations and then we would go around and we would go visit mills. Yeah. And you go in those mills and they've got good paying jobs where you're really not you know, you're not out there doing what you, you would think. You're not out there doing the grunt work as much. You're in there. You're running these computers. Yeah. And these computer systems to make sure that, you know, the, the cuts are, are what's most profitable that day, you yeah. know, for that, that meal. So uh, the more meals, the more jobs, the more uh, opportunities for our landowners to, to get rid of a little timber here and there. And, you know, speaking of the technology, of course, the artificial intelligence has is, is, is kind of been the buzz in the technology industry, sort of the, the, the new renaissance if you will there's artificial intelligence that is embedded into some of this machinery uh, where the um, uh, the equipment figures out exactly how and best to cut and harvest the timber it's incredible how all that technology works it, it is incredible and, and in some of these meals you'll find out that uh, every morning they run the report to see what's what's selling that day what's <laughs> highest at market whether it be a tube of four or a tube of six and and that that technology changes everything in there and that day that's 
what they run. It's unbelievable. So that just increases yield and efficiency and, of course, their profitability as well, which is what opens up more of these jobs and more of these high-paying jobs and drives the economy of the state of Mississippi. Absolutely. I, I, we hear that Mississippi feeds the world. We'd like to think that, uh, that, that the, the, the timber industry here uh, builds the world. I mean, we build the buildings around the nation. We ship it everywhere. And we should also point out that this industry does more to conserve and to preserve uh, our timber than perhaps any other. I mean, they understand that's their bread and butter. So when they cut trees down, they're planting more. Absolutely. I mean, you hear all the time in wildlife that the hunter is one of your greatest conservationists. You go into ag and your, your farmer is one of the greatest conservationists. And you come in the timber industry, it's the same way. You know, the guys that are cutting their timber or, 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 and then replanting that timber for whatever is going to be in the best interest of, of the land and, and the future here. Well, I know we're uh, kind of in the intercession period, shall we say, but you know, Senator, it's not too long. It's, it, it always rolls around quicker than we think. A couple of days after the new year, we'll be back up at the Capitol. Uh, and, of course, we'll have uh, starting a new term, a new class, if you will. Uh, I think all indications are that uh, our statewide leaders are likely to remain in place, all running for re-election. And there'll be a little turnover in the House and the Senate, but what's on the horizon? What, what are you working on in your committees, first of all, that you're hearing from uh, your constituents and that you're hearing from the loggers and uh, the farmers? Well, you know, it, there's always a, there's a lot of speculation right now, Gerard. And the one thing that I've tried to do is focus on, on what I've been given right now and to move forward in our forestry and ag industries. and, and, and what we're seeing out there is there's a few tweaks here and there but you know we've had a, a pretty good couple of years yeah we've built some programs in there and we're, we're thankful for the forestry facility grant program that we've talked about and we're anxious to see the governor get it get his appointments and MDA get that in place so that we can maybe start seeing some additional improvements and additional uh, expansions in some of these uh, these mills and and giving a little bit of help out there for the the municipalities that are running the water out there whatever sure. it may be so you know with that um, we've had some changes on some of the the length laws and the harvest permits and and Senator Branning you're gonna have her on here later yep. so I'm not gonna take her thunder from that because she's an amazing asset that's that has worked that real hard with the help of these industries that are here um, you know what do I see coming up I don't know yet. Yeah. I mean, you know, you've you've heard all the the rhetoric going on between um, healthcare and yeah. and whatever it may be, but at the end of the day, we've all got to sit down and figure out what's best for our state. And on the forestry industry, I do think that we're we're looking at a few tweaks on on a couple little bills, but nothing of too much. Uh, but we we've still got to support these guys. You right. know, th these these loggers that are out there. You know, we can't just say you got to cut off your traffic right. uh, on, on my road because it's it's my road and my pothole there. Uh, these guys have, have the the landowners raised this timber. Uh, they've got a right to get that timber out. And we want to do what we can to be the mediator in the middle to make sure everybody's happy. So we made some progress on that last year, though. I did think we not? we've made a lot of progress. Uh, and you know, you'll see there's some one pagers running around here. Uh, that lay out that bill and yeah. what we what we did with regard to the harvest permit taking it up to eighty eight thousand, uh, but we also strengthened some penalties in yeah. there. And we yeah. want to do what we can to help, but we want to be sure that everybody knows that uh, if you do break the law, then you know we're going we're going to bump you a little bit on your, your fines. Sure. Senator, do you expect to serve in these same committee roles in the coming year? I, I know you don't know what the lieutenant governor may have in mind, but uh, do you see the committee 
uh, chair and vice chair sort of staying the same? You know, we didn't have that much turnover in the Senate. Right. So, and I, right. I think overall we have a really good Senate. Yeah. And we work in, uh, very well together, most of us. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen to the Lieutenant Governor. You know, eventually he's got the final say, and we'll all know about the middle of January. But uh, if he put me back in forestry, I'm going to do what I've been doing the whole time. That's go to our meetings. Uh, that's be here and support this every two years. And I'll see you again in two years yeah. here. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we'll do what we can to be there for our loggers, our landowners, our industry, and, and do what we can to, to be in the middle and, and forward it. So in this committee chair position and, and vice chair, do, do you interact with the associations? and, and the, the folks uh, in that industry? Look, lot? if you get out there today, you're going to find no better advocates for the industry and for the conservation uh, and reinvestment back into the industry than you've got here today. Sure. Whether it be your forestry association, uh, whether it be David Livingston over at the Logger Association, whether it be your lumber manufacturers with Ellery Jones here. You know, those folks are out there. They're doing a great job advocating not just for the logger, but for the landowner. Yeah. And that's what's key. You know, we want to be sure that whoever planted that 40 acres of timber that's wanting to get it harvested and, and use it as part of their retirement, that they have that access. Yeah. You know, and that's why we constantly are talking to more mills and, and more residuals people uh, to try to do what we can to, to strengthen that market. The only way we're going to have a better uh, price on that timber is to is to continue to get a little competition in. Well, how, how are the economics going in the industry? What are you hearing from the loggers, the farmers? How are they doing? I know the price of, of uh, energy has skyrocketed, and that's got to be putting a squeeze on them. Well, you know, um, your fuel is killing them. Yeah. Uh, your insurance is killing them. Yeah. You know, and by the time you get to market, the landowner has very little after you take out the expenses to get it there. Yeah. Uh, but if we don't get out there and cut this timber, we're, we're going to be back in, in worse shape than we've been because we, we planted this stuff at a level that we might not should have put it so close together I see. if we knew that we couldn't get rid of the residuals. I so see. if we couldn't get in there and thin, maybe we didn't need it as quite close together. Uh, but for the health of the forest, we've got to do some cutting. And there, there's some federal regulation that uh, also applies to this industry as well. Are you in touch with our federal delegation in that regard? Well, I, we are, and most of my federal uh, assistance and, and, and dis discussions come through, uh, whether it be Farm Bureau or loggers or forestry, because yeah. they've got yeah. dedicated people to be watching the industry on a federal level. Yeah. Uh, well, Mississippi is unique uh, with a very strong agriculture and, and forestry industry for sure, and, and its its viability and it, its uh, continuing to thrive is a big important part of our state. It is huge. Uh, David Livingston with the loggers, they had their national yeah. board meeting on the coast not too long ago, and I was fortunate to be able to talk to them. And the biggest thing I heard was, y'all support the industry where we're from in California to do more than restrict it. Senator, always good to see you, sir. Appreciate uh, it. Absolutely. Have a good show, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Senator Tyler McCon has been our guest here on Middays. At 10.50, it's John Owl, the show manager of the Mid-South Forestry Equipment Show. That's where we are. Stay with us. Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one.
it's middays, 25 or 6 to 4. Iconic tune by the group Chicago. No, 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 no. That's... <laughs> That's, uh, does anybody know what oh, time it is? Oh, does anybody know what time it is? I don't know why I said 25 or 64. I was thinking about the, the you drums. Had the, you Thank had the you numbers will. in oh, your Oh, my head. gosh. As many times as I've uh, played and listened to the song, I don't know why I was thinking about 25. You know why? Because Rhino likes to play that one a lot. Yeah. He likes to play the 25 or 64, the lyrics of which are so weird, uh, kind of um, obtuse. I can't figure out what the heck they mean. But. Does anybody really know what time it is? That's a little different story. It's pretty cool, is it not? Yeah. Um, and we appreciate that. Fantastic horn section. One of my favorite drummers of all time, Danny Serafin. Danny Serafin was one of the first to popularize the double bass drum set uh, in the band uh, Chicago. Uh, played a Rogers double bass drum set, as a matter of fact. Uh, I actually played Rogers drums back in my old Rogers days. Not quite as good as Danny Seraphin, <laughs> mind you, but uh, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. We appreciate that. So we also appreciate Senator Tyler McCon uh, for coming on the program uh, today and uh, talking about the fantastic uh, agriculture and forestry industry in the state of Mississippi. And we look forward to talking to more folks later on the program. In fact, John Owl, show manager of the Mid-South Forestry Equipment Show. That's where we are, by the way, just south of Starkville, Mississippi, a beautiful venue and um, and really fantastic day to have an expo, and we look forward to talking to more folks about that. So the big announcement yesterday that you teased there, Will, was the uh, governor of the great state of Mississippi who uh, announced uh, some changes in the Medicaid program in the state that will yield nearly $700 million of additional reimbursement under the existing Medicaid program in the state, not expanding Medicaid, so-called Medicaid expansion, which actually just refers to adding a coverage group, not adding money, adding a coverage group. Of course, money would be added if you added the coverage group. It's expected that if we expanded Medicaid, which is just really means extending Medicaid availability coverage to able-bodied adults whose income is less than 138% of the federal poverty level. That comes in at about $20,000 for an individual, $20,000. If you've uh, priced health insurance lately, you know that um, if you've got a good plan with your employer, uh, just as an individual, it probably costs you eight to nine hundred bucks a month, assuming your employer picks up uh, a good bit of it. The typical in, uh, individual coverage, again, depending on the terms of the coverage, mainly the out-of-pocket cost, it's going to come in at about twelve hundred dollars, a thousand to twelve hundred dollars a month. So, for an able-bodied adult making twenty thousand dollars a year, that means they'd have to spend. Uh, uh, twelve to fourteen thousand a year of their twenty thousand dollars income just for insurance. That doesn't take into account the out-of-pocket costs, which in the in uh, today in uh, today in 2023 are limited to nine thousand one hundred dollars uh, for an individual. Double that for a family. <clears throat> so. It's pricey. The bottom line is health coverage, health insurance is outrageously expensive. Health care, uh, the, uh, the cost of care continues to increase in spite of all that. Numerous hospitals and health care institutions across this country are absolutely drowning in red ink. I read a report 
uh, Wednesday just released that in the state of California, one in five hospitals is on the verge of closure, of uh, just economic failure. Fifty percent of the hospitals in the state of California are losing money. Losing money. And a lot of people say, well, that's because they're taking care of all those immigrants for nothing. That's actually not true. In the state of California, immigrants, uh, if they meet the eligibility uh, requirements are enrolled in Medi-Cal, have Medi-Cal. That's their form of Medicaid that is available to them. Their uninsured rate is about half of what Mississippi's is. The California uninsured rate is about 6%. Mississippi's is 12%, one of the highest in the nation. That's primarily because the population in our state that would be covered by Medicaid doesn't have any insurance. So they just show up and they don't pay is what happens. And that cost is just absorbed by typically hospitals because they show up in the ERs. It's it's just a big old problem that I think it needs lots of resources, lots of smart people uh, to address. The governor did assemble a group of, uh, from as we said earlier, from the healthcare industry. They came up with this idea of going to the federal government and say, hey, look, um, we'd like to increase the reimbursement rate uh, in the Medicaid, the existing Medicaid program. So just so you'll know, there is no like schedule. This is what you're going to pay uh, for various services. Kind of in the fee-for-service model, there are two basic models in, in the Medicaid program. It's called the managed care model, which is where you have a third party. You know the one in Mississippi, Santine, that uh, ripped us off, honestly. They, they manage Medicaid uh, for lots of uh, states. And the way the managed care model works is uh, they use something called capitation capitation rate and it's just here's how much we're going to pay you per person enrolled MCO Centene. Your job then is to take that money and then pay for services to the providers under the Medicaid program and then and then, uh, then the cost of administering the program and then whatever's left over for your profit. Here's the amount. So what we're doing is we're increasing that rate, that amount per, per enrollee and then also in the fee-for-service uh, system the fee-for-service part of the model, which is just those who are covered outside of the managed care, those rates are going up as well under this announcement the governor made yesterday to the tune of about total between the two, about $700 million net. Now, I said earlier the state of Mississippi would not bear any of these additional costs in the Medicaid program, which is a shared model between the federal government and the state. That's because the hospitals have said, look, if we can get this through, we'll pick up the state portion. The taxpayers won't have to absorb that, so no additional money will be appropriated in the general fund to account for this increase in Medicaid reimbursement. Uh, presently, the Medicaid program costs the state of Mississippi about a billion dollars a year. It is the number two expense line item behind education, which comes in at about $2.5, $2.8 billion a year. And that's typical in the 50 states. The Medicaid program usually is the second largest state expense. And that's with the federal government picking up the majority. It's a gigantic program that uh, during COVID exploded to about 90 million, 90 million enrolled in the Medicaid program. Of course, we're going through an unwinding of that, which will reduce the roles of Medicaid. The, the addition of uh, 
people on the Medicaid rolls came about during because of legislation during the Trump administration, signed by Donald Trump, which says, look, because of this COVID stuff and people being shut down and you having to treat more sick people for COVID, we're going to give you more money, states. We're going to increase the federal support. Uh, by six and a half percent, but you can't disenroll anybody. Means once somebody is no longer eligible for Medicaid, say it's because um, they uh, they they make too much money, you can't disenroll them. They have to stay on the program. Well, now the states are busy disenrolling because this additional federal match, this boost of six percent, that is being phased out. So there's no additional money coming from the federal government to handle. States are busy doing this, and there's actually trackers that are produced by various health care media sources that show the unwinding of Medicaid recipients at state level. It's expected that about 15 to 18 million nationwide will, will be pulled from the Medicaid rolls in the state of Mississippi. It's probably going to come in at about 70,000, 80,000 maybe. And that means those people won't have, for the most part, won't have any coverage. Most of them won't. And uh, they'll show up at the hospitals and go to the ERs and they'll consume a bunch of services and the hospitals will have to eat it. So I know there's lots of strong feelings on this thing back and forth, but I want to make sure that it's understood this is not expansion of Medicaid, as the governor likes to call it. We're not expanding Obamacare in terms of the coverage group. We're simply increasing the reimbursement to providers. Uh, physicians, hospitals, clinics, etc., that deliver services to the Medicaid population. That's what's going on here. So I know a person that's probably just ecstatic about this would be our good friend uh, Thomas in Greenwood, right? And uh, he's already he's already sent us lots of comments, as you can imagine. Um, well, this morning you probably see those with respect to this move by uh, the governor to expand uh, the, the, the reimbursement, uh, I want to be clear, to increase the reimbursement into Medicaid. And I get it. I understand. You know why, why folks are, are upset about that? Because this is, you know, just honestly, this is just spending money at the federal government level that we don't got because we're running a $2 trillion deficit this year. We're within a week of ending the fiscal year, and that's where it looks like we're going to land. Of course, President Joe Biden says he cut the deficit. He's completely just telling a lie about that. He didn't. He cut it from the last year during the Trump administration, but so far into his administration, he's way ahead of where Trump was. We're stepping aside for a break right now. We're coming back with John Owl, the show manager of the Mid-South Forestry Equipment Show. That's where, where we are today. We've relocated the Element Well Studios to just south of Starkville. Bring the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. A little Glenn Campbell. Bumping us into this final segment of Hour 1 of Middays. 
We are at the Mid-South Forestry Equipment Show just south of Starkville, Mississippi. We welcome to the Element Well Studio John Owl, the show manager of the Mid-South Forestry Equipment Show. John, thanks for coming on. Well, I appreciate you being here. I tell you, I've seen lots of folks coming in here. We're near the entrance, and uh, they're here to see all this incredibly sophisticated and fantastic equipment that uh, the logging, the forestry industry uses for efficiency. Man, has that stuff changed through the years or what? It has changed a lot. <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, if you're jumping a time machine and come back 40 years, you know, from 40 years ago to now, you wouldn't recognize what was going on. It's, it is totally amazing. So uh, I'm just impressed with the, the number of people that are here that I've seen streaming in, uh, cer certainly since we've been here over an hour. Uh, you expecting big crowds? I know you always do. It's every two years, right? It's every two years, yeah. yes. And, uh, you know, in the, in the past, we've had, you know, as many as 7,500 come through over the wow. two-day period. Um, la the last show we did, a little bit less because we are just coming off COVID and things like that. But yeah. this, one, this one's doing better right now. From you know visually, yeah. Than we did at this time at the last show, so I'm I'm real happy about that. And you know, it's a, it's a big effort to put this thing on, so you want people to show up. Oh, absolutely. And by the way, folks, come on by and see us. Yeah. You'll just be impressed with all the great people and all this equipment. And it's a beautiful day and a great venue. We're we're like in the woods here, literally. So we are. It's a neat neat place. Um, all right, so John, who are the exhibitors? Who who is showing their equipment here today? We have a we have a broad range of exhibitors. Starting with the tent, we have you know hydraulic suppliers, we have insurance agents, we have uh, we have uh, you know uh, computerized modeling folks for forestry specifically. Yeah. Um, we'll have in the static area. We have we have trucking vendors. We have support. I mean, all this is really support for what the the forest industry is doing. And then we, then we we go all the way around to our live area where they're actually harvesting trees. And so that's kind of where it all starts, and everybody okay. else kind of backs up what these guys ha need out in the woods. So it's truly a kind of a one-shop, a stop shop, right? It absolutely is. That's, that's the goal. It is. Okay. To so show everything that it takes to produce the second or third most valuable commodity this state yeah. has. In including insurance, for example. Including insurance. That's a huge portion. Yeah. In fact, a little shout-out for my son here who's in the uh, commercial insurance business. He works for uh, an agency who um, who features the logging industry as their, as their biggest industrial client. Fantastic. As a matter of fact, writes lots of insurance for uh, right. loggers in the state. It's in, uh, obviously an important part of their, their business. But a couple of years ago, I hadn't gotten down there yet, but I just remember seeing some of that big equipment. And they're actually demonstrating it as well, right? They are in the live area. And, well, we have a... On the end of the static area, we have the portable sawmill that's going to be demonstrating. Okay. They'll be cutting some lumber and things okay. like that. But ma mainly, most of the most of the demonstration is in our live area, and, and they've got all the newest equipment out there: the processing heads, the the skidders and the loaders, and everything going. In, and they're cutting this, this actually pretty big timber. It's, it's larger than we normally have. Yeah. So, John, uh, when when the show's over, every two years, as we said, it's today and tomorrow, right? Correct. Do you get some feedback from the exhibitors that say, "Yeah, I I literally got some sales. I got." leads it turned into sales as a result of the show uh, sometimes yes yeah. yeah 
mean, well, they wouldn't be here if they didn't. You they know that. Be here so. if they didn't. Exactly right. <laughs> and and, and it, it, it's uh, you know, especially for the live exhibitors, yeah. it's it's a huge cost to do these shows for them. Yeah. You know, they have to rent the sites, but then it also costs them to move their equipment here, have all their people here. I mean, that that's a huge business cost for them. So, and, so it's and important, and, and we wouldn't have this show if it, if the live exhibitor said it wasn't any. Wasn't oh, of course, sure. So, and I assume then for many of the loggers, those in the forestry business, they come here, uh, they they are available of things that they maybe didn't know existed. Exactly. Exactly. Because this is the newest the newest technology available for them to harvest timber with. Okay. And uh, you know and and it, and it sounds kind of silly to have technology for harvesting timber, right? But this stuff is this stuff is super advanced. I mean, it and it's just amazing. It it is. I, I witnessed it and uh, a couple of years ago when I kind of got up on on one of the big pieces of equipment and you you go in the cab, it looks like the cockpit of a of a jetliner, a commercial exactly. jetliner. It's just exactly. a bunch of glass screens <laughs> um, that uh, handle all that work. And so it's it's really technology augmenting humans. Exactly. Is to make them more efficient right uh at what they do and really just to just to perfect the work it is it is it, it, it's much more exact they can they can cut the mill specifications yeah. a lot easier than they used to it takes fewer people to get more volume out of the woods than it did in the past yeah and so they, it makes the whole industry more efficient well you're doing more with less that means you're producing more income and and um that's just good for the economy overall and good for the people who work in the right. industry about a minute left lots of opportunity for jobs in this industry too or they not everybody is looking for employees yeah. and, and they can be very good jobs too yeah. i mean and, and that's what we're trying to get across and that's why right now we have a lot of students coming through yeah a lot of you know uh, junior high high yeah. school and see them yeah. and you know you you can make fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year yeah. doing this job, it's which awesome. is above the median for Mississippi. So, well, John, congratulations on what certainly appears to be a very successful event. Again, the thirty-fifth, right? I think so. Yeah, thirty-fifth. So, uh, have a great day, great weekend, folks. Come by and see us. That's John Owl. We've been talking to the show manager of the Mid South Forestry Equipment Show. That's where we are, just south of Starkville, Mississippi. Again, come by and see us. We're stepping aside for Fox News and Super Talk News. When we come back, it's Senator Daniel Sparks. And now, and now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. back everyone it's middays and by the way it's a friday y'all as rhino would say we are live in the element well studios which have been repositioned here to just south of starkville mississippi we are here uh for the mid-south forestry equipment show and i'm telling you folks you need to come by and see us folks have been streaming into the show since we've been here an hour and a half for sure we just had john owl on the program he's the show manager of the mid-south 
forestry equipment show. Said a couple years ago they had 7,500 who attended. I think we may break that today. It's every two years. This is the 35th show. Uh, Mose on the ceasefire text line said, Gerard, 35th, and they hold it every two years. Makes you wonder what they were showing 70 years ago. Probably new forms of fancy saws, I guess. <laughs> we welcome to the program uh, Senator Daniel Sparks. He represents, of course, District 5, which includes Itawamba, Prentice, and Tishomingo counties. Serves as the vice chairman of the Senate Corrections Committee. Senator, always good to see you, sir. Thank you, Gerard. Thank you for having me. It's always good to be here. I, I tell you, I got to come two years ago, and it was pretty amazing, the equipment they had out there. And uh, one of the things you notice while you're here is all the school buses that are coming yeah. in, bringing a lot of school-age uh, kids here to see this industry that's so important to the state of Mississippi. Um, you know, we have the Accelerate program where we're trying to get our students into uh, industry opportunities, if that's something that they want to do, versus uh, maybe a traditional college route. And uh, this is just one of those great opportunities to do that yeah no doubt about it and it, it's it's just good that we expose uh, students at that level to the, the assortment of careers that are available and this is one of them and certainly a big opportunity in the state of Mississippi because as we know agriculture accounts for the majority and not, not the majority pardon me the biggest industry right. in our state certainly not the majority but it's what a third or so I think of the state's economy the last time I talked to Commissioner Andy Gibson about it extremely large I was in Tishomingo County last night it was the annual Farm Bureau uh, meeting Mike McCormick was up and, yeah uh, I heard Chairman McConnell earlier. President about, of the Farm Bureau. That's right. He's yeah. talking about the harvest permits and the different things that we've done uh, to try to offset. I mean, it's just good business sense. Yeah. But it's also trying to offset the, the inflationary things they're dealing with, with fuel and, and other issues. It's it's a it's a good way to make a living, but, you know, unfortunately, you don't dictate price uh, That's right. when, you, when you sell your goods. And so uh, I think there's a lot of stuff that we, we've been able to accomplish in the last couple of years that are good for them. And from the tax side of it, and I know you and I kind of look at that a lot. Uh, yeah. The immediate expensing piece uh, that came together. You talk about the equipment that they're selling here. Good it's point. Very expensive investments that they're making. And the fact that they can write that off uh, as far as the state income tax in the in the year of purchase is, is a big thing. And also uh, paying their taxes at the uh, entity level uh, getting over that salt tax cap. If That's right. If they're flow through. And, and a lot of these logging companies are. They're going to be uh, limited liability companities or escort yeah. pass through. Yep. So uh, little things like that add up. They got great representation down in Jackson uh, from the Forester Association, loggers, David Livingston, others. Uh, you know, they do a good job. Yeah, no doubt about it. Just had your buddy uh, not far from us right now, Senator Tyler McCon, who, of yes. course, who, who chairs the uh, Forestry Committee in the Senate and uh, vice chair of the Agriculture Committee. It, it's important, is it not, Senator, that we, we ensure that we have good state-level policy for the Agriculture Committee, uh, pardon me, community in Mississippi, given um, it's such a large part of our economy. Oh, absolutely, and one of the issues to be discussed, and, and we have had some rulings lately uh, on the waters of the United States, and again, it's a federal program, federal overreach in my opinion, yeah. and the Supreme Court agreed that, that they were over-managing our water resources. Uh, we've got drought conditions in the 
southern part of the state and other parts of the state, uh, you know, when people are farming or you got you know timber things like that, it's not a guarantee we're by we're producing a widget and we're going to sell a widget. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, of other factors that come into play, but uh, the, you know, it looks like we're going to have to continue to battle on the waters of the United States because the EPA is coming back with with other rules. Oh my God. And so uh, so I, it's a continual battle, but I, I do like that we're seeing more assertion from uh, the states as far as you know whether it's a Tenth Amendment type scenario where you just say, look, um, we had Constitution Day just you know a few yeah. days ago, and that's one that got overlooked for a long time is because we let the federal government take powers that did not belong to them. They were not uh, you know kept to them uh, constitutionally, and the states just backed up and let it go. And I heard your discussion earlier on health care, and that's probably one of the biggest issues that we've you know we federalized and from a Medicaid standpoint. And I'm excited you know to see more money go into the hospitals. I appreciate what the governor did. You know, uh, I'll be honest with you, those discussions have been ongoing. You and I were talking right before we came on air that CMS dictates a lot of this. I know the lieutenant governor was having these conversations, and I think with, with the folks at Medicaid um, probably last year on similar topics in, in hospitals, um, of course, Medicaid's an executive agency, yep. and, um, you know, I'm proud to, to see what they're doing. It's 500 and something million dollars, but here's something. You mentioned uh, Medicaid earlier in, in your conversation talking about California. Yeah. Um, you know, we're drawing down another $500 million from the federal government. Now, part of that's going to be because the hospitals are going to pay higher bed taxes that allow us to draw that down. And it's a it's a win. To for cover them. the state's portion. That's right, because yeah. it's, it's a net, and then the taxpayer's not on the hook. Yeah. But where's that money coming from? It's yeah, well, you want to say we're just adding yeah. that to the debt. And, I mean, and and I'll tell you, if you if you go look last week, I saw an article where Medi-Cal in California, Governor Newsom, has uh, asked CMS, you know, the yeah. federal folks, Center for Medicaid, and Medicare, federal government, uh, that you don't do an asset evaluation uh, when people are looking at Medicaid as far as nursing home care in the state of California. We've shifted so much of the burden, and unfortunately, in the state of Mississippi, we are a net receiver right. uh, from the federal government. Three to is, one, I believe, it, last I saw. If you want to have independence, what we need are better jobs. We need better opportunities. We need people who are insured. Um, you know, the the issue, too, you know, I hear a lot of conversation about taxes. Hey, we're going to cut car tags. Yeah. Well, the thing about cutting car tags is you're not going to cut the sales tax. Yep. And that's the big number. You know, we, we, we kind of manipulate those things. Uh, the big number is whether you drive a new car or whether you just bought a car, and it's hard to make the argument, well, cut my car tag because I'm the working poor. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I rolled in here in a 2007 Tahoe with about 350,000 miles. My tag's $35. But but we want to do what we can to, to make opportunity in this state, but we need, just like what we are talking about the young people earlier, we need them gainfully employed. No doubt. Uh, the opportunity that came into the Golden Triangle area recently, um, you know, with tremendous jobs, uh, you know, at the rate that, that are they're good um, those things are what we want to see is where we have people that are insured or people that can afford you know to make that payment it ought to be in my view the focus of our state government which is to grow and boost our economy to create establish the environment right. that allows these higher paying occupations uh, to uh, exist in the state of Mississippi to be created and and most importantly to keep those fantastic graduates graduates we have out of our our universities we have a, a tremendous university system we're blessed with that in the state of Mississippi we just got to keep those people home we do and, and those opportunities and we talk about earning capacity and I know in the in the news the last week or two in the state yeah. there's been a lot of discussion over majors and what majors 
majors you should take. Look, you can take any major you want to, but you really need to pay attention to the earning capacity side of it because it is a little frustrating if you say, well, I'm going to go get an education. There's no market for my skill. Right. And then I'm going to look back to the government and say, look, I, I need you to cut this or provide that. Uh, we need to provide opportunity. That's what this country was built on was, was exceptionalism, uh, individual opportunity. The sky's the limit, but if the sky's the limit, it's also um, an opportunity to fail. Yeah, you know, to that's absolutely to be successful. right. But but we're you know we're excited. We got a uh, obviously the the next session coming up, um, looking at the remainder of the ARPA funds. Again, you're back to federal money. It's being a good steward. You yeah, know, that's I think what comes down to it because it's been frustrating. We've tripped over 33 trillion now, I believe, on the federal yep, deficit. Just did, yeah. But uh, with Debt. in the state where we have paid off some of our bond indebtedness, uh, we've got to focus on uh, the retirement system. We've got a 20 billion dollar unfunded liability. We've talked about um, it. It's it's there are a lot of challenges out there, but there are a lot of opportunity. Uh, we're continuing to implement uh, the largest income tax uh, decrease in the state of Mississippi, and uh, we're continuing to try to grow those opportunities within the state. And you know, with our partners in education, uh, I am you know I, I do want to see some data. I want to see some impact we're having uh, with the Accelerate program because again. Having people gainfully employed at an earlier point in their career at a level where they can afford the things uh, that they want, but then we also have to look at the delivery of healthcare. Yeah, and uh, you know one of the things that this does with Medicaid is it changes the reimbursement rate, um, and we need to look at insurance. What insurance is paying? It's a a lot of times it's a shell game because you know here's my price. Uh, we can't even get really pay hey, what's your price. And any other business that that price is out there, not so much on the medical side. But uh, we we are you know we are excited with what's coming up, and and I do think there's some opportunities to look at the delivery, the certificate of need laws, um, and also the future, the delivery of, of medicine because the you know 150, 180 uh, bed hospitals. Yeah in the rural parts of the state are not the delivery model. If we were building them today, if we started do fresh it. and had the money to say we're just going to build what we need in each area, we wouldn't build that. We just need a plan to address yeah. all those issues, and I, I feel certain that's going to be a high priority for the legislature. We've yeah. got about 20 seconds left. You you think that's going to be on the table just talking about this issue? I do. I, I think you know. I think the governor obviously is focused on it. The lieutenant governor is focused on it. Uh, the House will have new leadership, but we, you know, that's one of the biggest issues facing our state. Yeah, I agree. Senator, always good. Good to see you. Thanks for coming on, Thank sir. Thank you for having Talk me, Appreciate it. We've got uh, Representative Dana McLean joining us next. She represents Lowndes in Monroe Counties. We're in the Element Well Studios at the Mid-South Forestry Expo. Stay with us. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi. Long, cool woman in a black dress by the Hollies. Bumping us into this segment. We are, once again, we're here for the Mid-South Forestry Equipment Show, here meaning just south of Starkville, Mississippi. It's a big old show. It's where you can see all this equipment, all the tools, in fact, all the resources and assets that uh, the business of forestry 
and logging need to conduct their business. And we're pleased to be here today. Joining us now is Representative Dana McLean, represents House District 39. That includes Lowndes and Monroe Counties. Representative McLean, thanks for coming on today. Uh, thanks for having me. So uh, what do you think about this big old expo? This is really something. This is my first time here. This is amazing. And I love seeing all the school buses here. So yeah. great seeing all the, the students here to take a look at you know, our forestry industry here. We've seen students uh, stream in here uh, since we've been here, and they get exposed to this fantastic uh, uh, industry, as you know, and job opportunities and the like, and kind of whet their appetite. We want to pass on something. One of those students just came by the tent here, Griffin McCarter, and uh, he shared with us that he has an inoperable brain tumor. He is, I believe, a student at Matheston. Right. In Matheston. And uh, we East just wanted Webster. to. East, East Webster. He's telling us East Webster. The town of Ma Ma uh, Matheston attends right. East Webster. Uh, right. Yeah. So we, uh, we're we so sorry to hear about that. And we just want to pass that on to our audience. He's in need of prayers with this inoperable brain tumor. And uh, we certainly hope that um, that he's cured. And it sure uh, lives a long, productive life. But just wanted to. to announce that here on the program and appreciate uh, him for coming by and sharing that story with us. We will certainly pray. So, uh, Representative McLean, we had a big announcement yesterday from the governor of the state of Mississippi regarding health care. Health care is something that, honestly, every state in the nation is uh, is grappling with. Right. There are no easy solutions to this. It is, um, it, it's one of those things that you can't just say, well, I just won't do that. You know, I need medical treatment to, to cure disease, to sometimes to live, just simply to survive. It's not something you can say, well, I, I'm just not going to participate. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to seek that care. And care costs money. I mean, mm -hmm. medical care is the work product of others. we got to pay them to deliver this care. Right. And we have a large uninsured population in the state of Mississippi that does consume resources, and the hospitals are just expected to absorb that right. at this point. And in the case of existing Medicaid, they get reimbursed below cost. Uh, mm -hmm. Reports from across the nation suggest that. What did you think? What was your reaction to the governor's announcement yesterday? Well, I was happy for uh, to hear about it. I was happy that he uh, addressed it and uh, you know, what is it, almost $700 million yeah. in, in supplements yeah. to our hospitals? Right. I just think that's uh, fantastic. Uh, hopefully it will help us in the future keep some of these small, uh, smaller rural hospitals open. We need that. We can't have these dry patches of areas that, that have uh, no hospital care and, you know, no, no medical care. It's an especially difficult problem in the state of Mississippi because our population is dispersed. We don't really have a lot of dense population centers, and, it, and it's difficult economically for a hospital, a health care facility, really just to make the, uh, the numbers work, the finance work, when you're drawing from a limited population. Mm -hmm. but, but, you know, it's, it's like, well, what, what services do we provide here? What services do you have to travel to? And unfortunately, many of our residents, many of our citizens, they're not even able to travel when they need care that might not be local. Right. Uh, it's just a big, complex problem. I was pleased to see the governor uh, get together and convene lots of experts from uh, across all the various disciplines in the in the industry mm -hmm. to try to come up with something. He, he made it clear yesterday this is sort of a first step. 
I suspect the legislature is going to continue to discuss this issue when we when we get back together. I agree. I think we will this time. Um, now, of course, you get a lot of people to say, oh, we just need to expand Medicaid, which would add a coverage group that would fix this problem. I happen to not believe that, that, that it would fix the problem. Would it infuse more money into the health care system? Absolutely. Would it um, uh, just be the panacea and solve all the industry's problems? I don't think so. I don't know. Um, you know, and I, I've asked um, many of those who were proponents of Medicaid, provide us a pro forma. Give us a projection that shows, okay, this was my financial performance without expansion. This is what it would look like with expansion. Uh, still waiting for that, honestly. Right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what that would be. Yeah. Um, all right, so what are your priorities, Representative McLean, as we approach uh, the coming session? It's just around the corner here, about three months away. You guys will be back under the dome in the Capitol in Jackson. Right, we sure will be. Well, uh, one thing that I've been exploring and and uh, attending some forums regarding is education yeah. and revising our accountability model. Uh, right now, there's a lot of emphasis on testing and a lot of emphasis on, um, you know, subject matter uh, success and um, there's been a lot of talk about uh, adding more career tech information you know now we've got these career coaches in our in our high schools and you know making that a, a larger portion of that accountability mod model and adding more points to those types of issues so I would like to see that and I would also like to see us uh, revise the A to F accountability model uh, I know we have great districts in the state but we have districts that are behind and I think sometimes it's uh, when you're rated a D or an F school that's very defeating for students parents in the community that might have one of those lower performing schools so I feel like um, an academic uh, accountability model is not good for those who might not be doing so well. Okay, so you you like to change the whole grading mm -hmm. structure, is that right? I would, and I actually authored a bill to do that last session. Um, up in northeast Mississippi, we have the Create Foundation that's been very active in uh, doing something to revise that, whether it be a uh, a name type system or a points system, doing something besides an academic A through F. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, do you feel like that'll get some attention and traction in the I coming do. session? Uh, they, um, they're actually having um, forums all over the state to get feedback from right. superintendents and educators and career coaches on uh, what what we're doing. So far, they've not heard any opposition to removing that. Of course, they they haven't been all over the state yet, but yeah. we'll see. What is your position on expanding the school choice options in the state of Mississippi? That seems to be getting uh, more attention. It, it appears that um, uh, likely new Speaker of the House, Jason White, seems to be a proponent of it. What, what are your thoughts about that? Well, um, I worry about the students that aren't able to take advantage or don't have parents that are able to move them to another district. I worry about the schools that may not have a choice, right. may not have a, a better choice than where they are. What do we do about those schools? Well, I think the hope would be that uh, we, we'd see 
uh, more charter schools locate in uh, those areas, maybe even more private schools, maybe a un with universal school choice, uh, homeschool is an option. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, you, you know that uh, Arkansas passed sweeping legislation, Alabama's about to, and I saw yesterday a report, Governor Greg Abbott in Texas said they're going to get universal school choice in Texas even if he has to call a special session for that purpose. So more, more and more states are, are taking up this issue and, mm -hmm. and seem to be moving towards I think it would be good for us to study that and see what that looks like. What, what are some of your other priorities? You know, we, we got sweeping tax reform a couple of years ago. A lot of people feel like we fell short of full elimination. That was kind of the goal. Didn't get that done. Also, the ballot initiative the uh, process, which still we don't have one in the state of Mississippi. Yeah, you, right. That's, that's going to be a topic. I, I think, think you guys will. will talk about it again. Mm -hmm. And I'm on the Constitution Committee, and okay. uh, we did look at that last session, of sure. course, and it didn't go all the, way, all the way through. But I think that we do need to make that available to our voters. Uh, ballot initiative. Um, also, I feel like uh, another topic will be, I'm also on the Agriculture Committee, we'll be talking about uh, restricting the sale of agriculture land to okay. uh, other countries. Uh, namely, what we're referring or worried about is to the Chinese. Yep. Um, I've not heard from one farmer so far who wants to be able to sell their land to the Chinese. Right. Um, I know Farm Bureau has weighed in on that, but yeah. the farmers in northeast Mississippi, where I'm yeah. from. Yeah, and um, several other states have, are enacting or pursuing legislation to restrict that as well. Right. Appreciate you coming on. Representative Dana McLean has been our guest here on Middays. I'm sure we'll be talking to you some more there, Representative McLean. Thanks for having me. We're coming right back with more. we got an open segment and then David Livingston, Executive Director of the Mississippi Loggers Association and Dr. Wes Berger, Associate Director of the Mississippi State Agricultural and Forestry Experiment. Stay with us. Super Talk Mississippi. Hot town, summer in the city, back of my neck getting dirt and gritty. Bend down, isn't it a pity? Doesn't seem to be a shadow in the city. All around, people looking half dead, walking on the sidewalk hotter than a match here. The Lubbock Spoonful. Summer in the city. That's a good one there, Will. Appreciate that. Once again, we are live today at the Mid-South Forestry Equipment Show just south of Starkville, Mississippi. We are literally amongst the forest here, Will. That's where we're set up, um, which is the perfect venue to showcase all this incredibly sophisticated uh, technology really is what I'm going to call it. It's equipment, but it's it's really a bunch of computers with all these apparatus attached to it that handle all the logging and the uh, various other tasks that foresters have to contend with. Really fascinating, honestly. And of course, we had John Owl, the show manager of the Mid South Forestry Equipment Show, on in the last hour, telling us that they had 7,500 people come through here a couple years ago. And it's in, it's in every other year. 
uh, a biennial event been going on. This is the 35th biennial, I believe. Um, it's been biennial since the inception of the um, of the show. But it's fascinating, and it's a big part, of course, of of Mississippi's uh, economy. I think the last time we had uh, Commissioner Andy Gibson, Agriculture Commissioner, he reported that it accounts for uh, over a third of Mississippi's total GDP comes from the agricultural community. And that's because we're blessed with, of course, incredibly fertile ground. The delta of the great state of Mississippi, the Mississippi River, which borders most of our state. And, of course, the Pine Belt with all the, the forests. And, uh, and we're blessed with lots of hardwoods as well. That's why the hunting is so good around here. So that's where we are today. And coming up next, we got the executive director of the Mississippi Loggers Association and Dr. Wes Berger from Mississippi State University are going to give us their report on the big show. Talking about this uh, whole deal with respect to uh, Expand, it's not expansion. I need to re correct that and not call it Medicaid expansion. The governor would be mad at me of that. But let's say expanding or increasing the reimbursement rates for existing Medicaid, existing Medicaid. Uh, something that a lot of folks may not realize, I actually shared this with the CPAs yesterday, the original, the original Affordable Care Act as passed required all states to add the coverage group that is frequently described as Medicaid expansion, that coverage group being able-bodied adults that meet the income eligibility requirements. It was because of the challenge to uh, the law in general, and in particular, the individual mandate. You remember that got all the way to the Supreme Court, and a lot of conservatives were, were miffed at Justice Roberts, John Roberts, because he sided with the left-leaning justices in upholding the law and upholding the individual mandate. However, little known about that particular ruling was that it was John Roberts who said, you know what, we cannot compel, the federal government cannot compel states to add this coverage group simply to remain in traditional Medicaid. Because that was the plan. That's the way the law was drafted. John Roberts that uh, actually made the deciding vote there. And so a lot of folks don't realize it's because of that ruling that the state of Mississippi and presently nine other states did not expand Medicaid. Originally, that was going to be and was actually provided for as a requirement of the original Affordable Care Act. And remember the goal, a noble goal, I'll say that, it's a noble goal, that everybody has some sort of insurance. Because I believe that would drive the price of health care and insurance down for everybody. It's the cost of caring for those who don't pay that we all pay for. I know Thomas doesn't understand this, doesn't actually doesn't believe it. Uh, if we're paying for these uninsured people now. It's just we're paying for it in the form of higher premiums. We're paying for it in the form of, of loans. We're paying for it in the form of having to increase um, or, or requesting an increase to reimbursement in base Medicaid. And while I've said before, somebody called me out on it, 
it's not the uh, panacea. And yeah, Gerard breaking out panacea in honor of Rhino today. <laughs> yeah, Rhino did it. He he did invoke that on the show the other day. I I used to use that word frequently, and I sort of got away from it. Uh, but but <laughs> but I I I do realize that uh, if you look at the arguments on the right and the left, you you hear the left saying, "Oh, if we just expanded Medicaid, that solve all the health care problems." I just simply do not believe that. I do not agree with that. Do not believe that. On the other hand, um, I think it's reasonable to say, well, an infusion of a billion, two hundred million is something. I mean, it's something. I do not think it is the end-all, so-called panacea um, move whatsoever. Uh, and and if you look at other states, and Thomas has pointed this out, and I agree with him, California expanded Medicaid, yet their hospitals are, are suffering economically. Hospitals across the country are. <laughs> hey. The Cleveland Clinic last year lost a billion two, and the Cleveland Clinic hardly has any Medicaid. Explain that. I talked about Gulfport Memorial Hospital lost sixty-one million, according to the financial statements that I pulled up a couple of weeks ago, on revenues of about four hundred million, fifty-nine, forty-nine percent. Pardon me of um, of their payer reimbursement comes from Medicare. Oh, they only have an 8.5% Medicaid population. The other 40% roughly is private. They can't make ends meet either. We have large hospitals in our large urban areas. They're losing money too. They're not making any money. It, it's, it's just a big old problem that needs lots of smart people uh, to figure out. And we've got to look beyond just, we just need to expand Medicaid. That'll fix it. And Brandon Presley came out yesterday. He gave it the old it's too little, too late. I think he said, Will, too little, too tate. I don't know if you saw that. You know, his, his campaign folks are, are clever. I'll give them that. Uh, remember the orange jumpsuited campaigners <laughs> over at the Neshoba County Fair. Um, he said specifically at a campaign event that expanding Medicaid is one of the not expanding Medicaid is one of the dumbest decisions the state's ever made. He went on to say that expansion could help, could keep hospitals open and provide coverage for 220,000 people. Quote: They they are folks like the lady that's going to be wiping the table at the Waffle House somewhere here in Mississippi tonight. Somebody will get up tomorrow and they'll go to work in a quick lube, changing oil, busting down tires. We're talking about people that roof uh, houses. We uh, we're talking about people that sweat. Folks that have to take a shower before and after work. You know, I, I'm not really for all this kind of inflammatory uh, rhetoric that divides people into these various groups. I don't, I don't really buy into that notion. Is it true that we have a large uninsured population? Absolutely. Is it true that some of those people, many of whom are young and, and are just passing on insurance available mostly through their employers? Absolutely. If they, because they don't feel like they need it. They're not going to get sick. I was that way. I couldn't afford it when I first got out of college, and I was working for one of the big eight accounting firms, and my salary was so low, I couldn't afford whatever it was, $40 a month, um, and, and still make other ends meet. Had to have transportation, got to go to work, got to travel to the job site, so that means you at a minimum got to have a car of some sort, and insurance and gas you got to pay for it, got to eat, got to have a roof over your head. And I lived in incredibly modest means. My wife and I had a little bitty apartment at first. Um, so actually, I lived in a hotel that the firm paid for for about six months. I couldn't even afford an apartment. 
they paid for it because I was actually out of town. I had an apartment back at my home in uh, New Orleans. I was in Baton Rouge there when I first went to work. But bottom line is, there are a lot of people that ain't buying insurance that could, no doubt. But there are a lot of people who are in this this category of making less than twenty thousand dollars a year. That's really what we got to be working on in the state. How do we lift up their incomes? How do we produce more jobs so people can afford good commercial coverage, uh, either through their employer or in the individual market? And I still say that something that ought to be on the table and ought to be discussed constantly by our legislature is the option of these able-bodied adults obtaining their coverage in the exchanges because uh, when the American Rescue Plan was passed and now made permanent the Inflation Reduction Act, that's just, just law, I don't necessarily agree with it. It changed the entire subsidy model such that those that make less than 150% of the federal poverty level can get private coverage in the exchanges for zero premium. They do have an annual uh, out-of-pocket cost of $3,000, which is honestly a tall order even for those that, that are making $20,000 a year. Uh, but it's still it's, a, it's an option, a viable option that ought to be on the table, ought to be discussed by legislature. Will, every time I talk to members about it, most of them aren't aware. They aren't aware. It's kind of went in. If you think about it, the Inflation Reduction Act was so focused on all the green credits, um, and it was, of course, inappropriately named, misnamed. Nobody really talks about this aspect of it, but it's an option. The problem is we, we need more insurers selling in the exchanges. If we could somehow get Blue Cross Blue Shield, which has the best provider network in the state, to sell coverage in the marketplaces, I think that would do more to address and fix the health care economic conundrum in this state than any other move we could make. I truly believe that. We're stepping aside for a break right now. Once again, we're just south of Starkville, Mississippi. We're coming back with David Livingston and Dr. Wes Berger from Mississippi State University. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Welcome to the program now, David Livingston, Executive Director of the Mississippi Loggers Association, Dr. Wes Berger, Associate Director with the Mississippi Agricultural and Forestry Experiment Station, and also the, the uh, Forestry and Wildlife Research Center, or is it Forest and Wildlife Research Center there? Forest and Forest. Wildlife. Forest, gotcha. All right. Um, and also we've got uh, Molly Graham, who is a recent graduate of the Forestry Resources Program, right? Yes, sir. In Mississippi State. Yes. And now you are employed by Wirehouser. Warehouser, yes. Warehouser, Warehouser, yeah. Timberlands. Okay. Where, where do you work for them? I work for them out of the Brookhaven office, Brookhaven, Mississippi. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll t start with you. What do you think about the program? Did it prepare you for uh, your career? 
Yes, absolutely. Um, I love the program. I always tell people um, I went through um, actually, and I didn't know anything any anything at all about forestry. So a lot of people in the in or in the industry that come through the program, they've kind of got a background in it. Their family's been in it. They've heard about it. That wasn't my case. So I'm from Pensacola, Florida, originally. Okay. And um, both my parents went to Auburn. So that that was where I really wanted to go, with Auburn <laughs> University. And I kind of. But you're not unhappy about your decision. Absolutely to go to not. State. Absolutely not. So I toured <laughs> I, t- I toured both colleges um, and came to Mississippi State and toured. Um, my ag teacher, I was an FFA, she really wanted me to come up and tour Mississippi State. So I came up here and uh, I absolutely fell in love with it. Fell in love with a small, really small crowd, kind of more one-on-one, more family-type atmosphere, yeah. and a smaller campus too, and kind of a country, hometown kind of feeling. And so I fell in love with that, and that's why I came up here, and I, I haven't regretted my decision at all. My parents, in fact, they always talk about um, Auburn, they love Auburn. We still go to games at Auburn. Sure. But the small atmosphere at Mississippi State kind of reminds them of how Auburn was when they went to Auburn. And they've kind of fell in love with Starkville as well. So they come up to games. We go to the Auburn-Mississippi State game every year. And gotcha. that's kind of like a family ordeal. Well, I want to just uh, thank you for staying in the state of Mississippi. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I love making it. making your career here. Yeah, Appreciate I love, that. fell in love with it. David, tell us about the uh, the show here today. It looks like it's going well. Big crowds. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, look like we're on pace to possibly set some record numbers uh, this year. Uh, got great weather, uh, which we never know what we're going to have when yeah. we're planning these things a year in advance. So yep. uh, we're, we're blessed with that. And we've got uh, more exhibitors than we've ever had before, and uh, they've got more equipment out there than I've ever seen at the show before yeah. um, in 20 years. So uh, everything's looking good. I uh, hope we have another record crowd coming in tomorrow. we still got people coming in today, so uh, just real, real excited about it. Dr. Berger, exactly what does the experiment station do, the agriculture and forestry experiment station. I mean, are you literally conducting experiments to try to advance the, the industry? So the Ag Experiment Station does both agriculture as well as natural resources okay. uh, research as well as uh, education. This is the College Forest Resources and the Forest and Wildlife Research Center. We're on the John W. Starr Memorial Forest here today, and that's owned right. by the College Forest Resources and FWRC. And this is a, a working experiment station. <laughs> we, we do natural resources research and education out here on this uh, school forest. In the college, we produce uh, registered foresters, we produce wildlife biologists, we produce wood scientists. and. Uh, Molly, being child of an alumni, we love to recruit Auburn <laughs> and a lot of our children to Mississippi State University. Sure. sure. We say we grow leaders in the college. Okay. We produce the next generation of natural resource managers. So, do you, would the group of uh, the college actually um, advance certain technologies and techniques and innovations that, that are then commercialized in industry? That's exactly right. So, we've got a trifold land grant mission of research, teaching, and technology transfer. We say we do teaching and learning, research and discovery, outreach and engagement. And so, we develop through our science, we do the science that informs the management practices okay. that make our forest landowners more productive 
productive and profitable and sustainable. And then we move that into application. Gotcha. At the same time, our teaching program produces future professionals like Molly. Absolutely. David, this is kind of a one-stop shop for the industry, is it not? Yeah, that is correct. It is. It's anything and everything to do uh, with timber and the logging industry is here today and represented today. Uh, we have companies as, as uh, far as Sweden here with Ponzi being, and I believe that's where they're out of is uh, out of Sweden, but uh, yeah. uh, Ponzi. Uh, all the major manufacturers are here. Uh, if it has to do with forestry and land management or, or logging, it's here. It's any, anything you can imagine. Molly, would you recommend this as a professional career to others that are thinking about this? Absolutely. I've fallen in love with it. If you're looking to be outdoors and not stuck in an office every day, all day, this is the place to be. Sounds like you enjoy it. Oh, absolutely. Well, you're a great ambassador for the state of Mississippi, Mississippi State University. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Folks, it's time for a break. It's top of the hour. That means Fox News, Super Talk News. When we come back after the break, it's Senator Bart Williams. Stay with us. That keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone. It's the afternoon portion of Middays. We are live. The Element Well Studios relocated to uh, just south of Starkville, Mississippi in a forest, one of the national forests. We're here for the Mid-South Forestry Equipment Show, enjoying visiting with all the folks involved with that. 7,500, they said, attended this event two years ago. It is a biennial event every other year. And uh, the expectations are that crowds might be even larger this year to come see all the stuff that loggers and those in the forestry industry need, which is a big part of their state's economy. Speaking of the state, we got Senator Bart Williams with us now. He represents District 15. That includes Choctaw, Montgomery, and Octibaha counties, also Webster County, and serves as the vice chair of the, the Senate Technology Committee. Senator, thanks for coming on. Thank you. It's Appreciate an honor it. to be here. Yes, sir. Good to see you. So, is your district still the same? Are, are those the the uh, included counties, or has that changed a little bit? Those are the same counties. We had a few boxes. I think we got one or two more boxes in Octibi Hall okay. and, and moved a few boxes in Montgomery. Okay. But Pretty much the same. Same county yes, footprint sir. for the Absolutely. most part. Okay. Um, you you had a, um, a bit of a primary. Uh, uh, a, had a, a strong formidable opponent. Yeah. Challenge. He made us work hard, but yeah. um, we, we, we're glad to have gone through it and been successful and very yeah. honored that the people decided to hire us for another four. Yeah. I was up here a few weeks ago on campus, actually, at Mississippi State for a remote, and I, and I noticed uh, lots of your signage out. Um, yeah, polluting yeah. the highway, as I call it, but uh, it's, it's a necessary evil in this in this game. But uh, we've tried to get them all up, so hopefully we have. I understand. Yeah. Um, and I, actually, I think this was uh, before. Yes, sir. I think it was just before it. So, all right. Well, appreciate you coming on. We got uh, the legislative session will get underway. It's hard to believe. 
Early January, of course, right after the new year, you guys yes. get under the dome at the Capitol and start hashing out uh, legislative matters. What are you going to be working on this year? Well, personally, there's one, one bill that's very important to me. I call it the Walker-Montgomery Act. Um, Brian Montgomery is a fellow friend of mine here in town, and unfortunately he lost his son last year to um, a sexploitation, catfishing as it's called on yeah. the Internet. Yeah. And then the young man, over a three-hour period, um, some people were able to just to get in his mind, and then he unfortunately took his own life. And, mm. and that was a, a mm. really hard hit here in our, our area. And I got to doing some research working with his father, Brian, who's been going all over the country, um, um, making people aware of this. And Texas did a piece of legislation last year. We're modeling a piece after that. We have a draft that's ready to go. Okay. Just kind of tweaking it. And I hope to introduce us that the first part of session. Um, this will uh, allow uh, the, the service providers, the app providers, to look at this that's going on. As I said, over that three-hour period, we don't know what happened, but if we could have intervened at 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, that young man might still be with us. And unfortunately, we had a young lady in Ocean Springs this happened to in the last month. And and while I'm not about a lot of regulation, this is this is a necessary uh, regulatory piece. As I call it hazards of the Internet. We had the porn bill last year that requires age verification, which is yeah. needed. As, as we've delivered fiber to homes, I think it's great. But at the same time, we need to protect our children. So th these would be regulations imposed on the service provider industry, the indus Internet yes, service provider industry? not the ISPs, but the people providing the platform platforms on which this conversation occurs. Okay, I got you. They have the ability to I, go I in and you. look in if you will. We need to make sure we protect privacy rights. Obviously that's paramount. Okay. But at the same time, um, if you're under 18, you have to have adult verification. So there's some mechanisms we find that can be effective. Okay. It, yeah, because I was going to say, it'd be really difficult for the providers themselves. No, no, that's just the like police people providing the highway. Yeah, no, yeah. No. I mean, I haven't been in that industry. Um, yeah, that, that'd be almost impossible. Okay, I get it. So, yes, sir. Um, and that, that happens more than we know about, doesn't it? It really happens more than we know it. When it went down, my wife and I talked about it. We went and talked to our kids to explain to them. They said, oh, we know about it. I mean, yeah. it's just, it, it's, again, technology is great, but they're, the hazards that are there sure. that we've got to mitigate, we've got to control, especially for our youth. Yeah, I mean, it's no doubt. I, I usually make the analogy to, to nuclear power. I mean, there are mm. evil uses for it. There are beneficial uses Great for analogy. It. Sa same, it. Same sort of deal. And, and, and therefore, we have regulations around nuclear. Yes. Uh, energy and uh, and so this is similar we're seeing a lot of this artificial intelligence is, is kind of going down the same path I think it needs to have that same sort of thought applied to it um, to, to come up with some sort of reasonable regulatory framework that's protective in nature but doesn't really impede innovation and well, that's what we want in bringing it up and serving on the technology committee one of my desires is we probably need to have some hearings in, around the AI model yeah. and what's going on with that we're in the genesis of it somewhat but the reality is it's going to be part of our future. No doubt. It's not going to replace people. I think that fear is out there. We're creating an industry that, that employs more people, in my opinion. I agree. But we need to understand and try to shoot forward and understand the best path to, to chart as we go down this. Totally agree. Big announcement from the governor yesterday. Don't know how much you've been able to review that, but of I course it, it involves uh, increasing the payment structure in, in the two primary service delivery models in Medicaid, that being the managed care option and the fee-for-service model as well. Yes, sir. This is a proposal that the state will present to CMS, the Federal Center for Medicaid and Medicare, in the hopes that uh, they will approve that. It, it does not uh, technically expand Medicaid, and what I mean technically is that we're not adding the coverage group that's usually referred to as Medicaid expansion. This just increases payments for the traditional existing Medicaid program that 
that uh, exists in the state of Mississippi. What do you think about that? I think it's a good move. I think that we are in the midst of a hospital crisis in our state, and anything that will bring us out of that or move the needle in the right direction is good. As I understand it, reimbursements from Medicaid are, are lost numbers today. So yeah. at least if we're not getting out of the red and the black, we're moving more in that direction. So I think that's definitely a good move. Hopefully we'll continue to go down this path and then research opportunities out there. As the big thing, Medicaid expansion, I'm not for welfare expansion. Yeah. Two different things. I, but I think it should be on the table. We should talk about it to see if there's a model that goes forward yeah. that does not expand uh, welfare, but that would allow us to help our hospitals. Well, it's, it's probably not a very well-known fact, but the, the total cost of the Medicaid program, the federal and state cost of the program, actually exceeds the general fund budget in the state of Mississippi. Yeah, kind of sad when you think it's a about heavy it. Lift. Near seven billion a year now um, to come by in federal and state money, when our state budget was what around six billion last year. Six point so, seven, I yeah. think, was okay. the number. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, but we you know we didn't uh, we we budgeted that we came in with more revenue, so we ended up with a tidy surplus, the result of of uh, producing more revenue than we forecast, and also um, starting out with a budget where we budgeted for more revenue than we budgeted to spend, and so we. Ended up with a combination of two generate about what 1.3 billion I think in, that's right, in surplus. Yep, yeah, yep. so that's that's pretty good. So the state of Mississippi is in good financial shape, good financial condition. We are. I just hope we'll continue to be good stewards of that surplus and yeah. be wise in the way we allocate it and spend it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the ballot initiative is something, Senator Williams, that uh, of course many Mississippians would really like to see the legislature get get something done on. We 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 had a program from the House. We had a program for the Senate. We didn't see to be able to reconcile those two. You think that'll be on the table again this year? I think it should be. Um, having knocked on a lot of doors recently, I see what's important to people. The ballot initiative is something that is important. We Comes up a lot, doesn't it? We need to restore that for the people. Um, I, you know, I think we don't need to do a ballot initiative that outside money can come in and influence and get people on the ballot, something on the ballot and pass it. Yeah. But at the same time, we do need to restore the ballot initiative. I think it's very important to the boss. I, I'm confident that's going to be something that will be front and center when you guys get back. Um, tax reform is another one you hear a lot about, and that, that was an issue that was, um, uh, I guess, promoted by lots of candidates uh, in the, in the uh, past primary cycle. Uh, both at all levels, honestly, of government. Yes. So we got something done a couple of years ago. I kind of call that a down payment on the the goal of total elimination. You think that's going to be a subject again this year? You'll take up? I think it'll be talked about. I think what we did when we did the $550 million tax reduction, you will, again, a good first step towards yeah. a tax elimination. Yeah. If I understand, we kind of codified the fact that we need to look at that in three years, which would be two years now, okay. a year before an election. So, I didn't realize that. So, so that that was actually in the legislation? My understanding okay. is, and as good fiscal conservatives, yeah. to be accountable to our bosses, uh, sure. we need to look at it and do it. I'm all for eliminating the income tax. Yeah. Being a methodical thinker, you know, I'm an incremental person to do it because yeah. what we did was 550. It didn't have to have triggers. It was done. We're implementing it for another couple of years, so it's done. Then come back and let's do that again. That's right. We eliminated the 4% bracket already this past year, it's and then done. we'll phase in a 1% reduction of the 5% bracket. And where we'll land is we'll have one tax rate. To really simplifies things, one four percent tax rate of taxable income over ten thousand, right? Temporarily, hopefully. Okay. <laughs> but, but another thing, when that implements, we'll have the same time of the. I think it was a franchise tax that we implemented. That's in right. Sixteen that had an eight-year implementation. It's so, been phased so out. We'll see the effect of that on our receipts. That's and, a good and, point. And that lets us understand again that the worst thing to do is 
I'm about cutting every tax we can, don't get me yeah, wrong, but yeah. we have essential services we need to fund. I, you know, I, I just got to say, the franchise tax may be the dumbest tax ever invented. Oh, yeah, yeah. There are a lot of them still out there we need to get now. Not just income tax. All right. Um, okay, so school choice. I want to ask you about that. Where do you stand on that? we got about uh, 30, 40 seconds left. We keep you on another segment if you can stay with us, by the way. Um, you want to wait till after the break to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, let's wait yeah. after the break. Okay. That's okay. we got Senator Bart Williams as our guest here. He represents uh, the counties of Choctaw, Montgomery, Octibahan, Webster. We're coming right back with more from the Element Wealth Studio. We're at the uh, Mississippi uh, with the Loggers Association Expo here. It's coming right back. Interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. Song coming of the Mid-South Forestry Equipment Show. We're just south of Starkville, Mississippi. In the forest for the forestry equipment show. Lots of really cool stuff out here today and a lot of people streaming by. We're at the entrance. That's where we've set up the iconic Super Talk tents and the set, the Element Well Studio, relocated for the day. We've been talking to Senator Bart Williams, represents this area, as a matter of fact, and uh, talking about the upcoming legislative sessions and what might be his priorities. All right, so, Senator, we... We talked about this bill that you've got a personal interest in, uh, the sextortion bill, which would require these various electronic platforms um, to, to notify and, and put the red flags up when they see some sort of nefarious activity going yes, on, right, where they're trying to exploit children in particular. Yes. Uh, and unfortunately, there have been situations, you mentioned you had a friend who, who, um, who, who lost a, a child yes, as a result sir. of that, which is incredibly tragic. It happens all the time. And it's just a situation where we just got to have reasonable protections on some of this technology. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who have nefarious, malicious intentions, and they utilize these great tools for for the wrong purpose, wrong-headed and wrong-guided uses, and we suffer as a result of that. So I, I applaud you for that. All right, so we've talked about that. We talked about um, tax reform a little bit. We've we've talked about the uh, the ballot initiative, and before we went to break, I asked you about. Um, the possibility of expanding the school choice options in Mississippi. A little background, as you know, before our audience, we have education savings accounts enacted into law several years ago for dyslexia, for special needs. We also have uh, charter schools in Mississippi. The Charter School Authorizer Board um, is the one who approves applications to establish the charter school, which right now can only set up shop in a, I believe, a D or F district, if I'm not mistaken. Cannot locate Kate in a, in a better performing, a higher performing district. But there's been a lot of buzz about maybe expanding those options in the universal school choice, education savings.
savings accounts for homeschooling, perhaps private school, allowing a, a family to relocate their student, enroll their student in a, in a neighboring public school without any financial consequences where the money would follow the student. That's the concept behind school choice. Uh, your thoughts about that? Well, I think when, when I'm asked education questions about that, the first thing I say is I'm going to try to research what's there and I'm going to try to do what's best, I think, in the interest of our students. Yeah. That's our biggest and brightest asset that we have, our kids, the better we educate them. So, in short, yes, I think it should be on the table. I think okay. we need to talk about it. As I mentioned a while ago with our hospital crisis, any options that are out there we need to talk about. I think there's complexity to the issue yeah so it's not just as simple hey let's do it you need to understand the consequences of going this route but I think other states have put successful models in place and some have not done so well yeah we need to vet that and understand that so so I'm definitely thinking that should be on the table well the good news here is you know as you, as you rightly point out we're not blazing the trail here we're not pioneering anything we've got other states to uh, to examine to use as input to yes, our sir. process and what I've explained senator to to the audience is I get lots of questions about well how would this work and how would that work Etc. All good questions, all, all valid uh, concerns and questions. But the answer is, it's however the legislature <laughs> designs the legislation that can pass the House, the Senate, get signed by the governor. That's what it looks like. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And sometimes those complexities aren't dealt with as a level they should yeah. because you get issues that are such. They're so politicized yeah. that we can get out of the weeds with it. And I'm a guy that likes to be in the weeds. I want the detail and I understand it and the, try to understand, you know, what are the ramifications of it. Sometimes we just do it quickly because it's where the political winds are blowing. Yeah. Again, back to the premise I initially said, what is best for our children? Let's not protect an institution. Let's not create an institution. What is best for our children? The health care. The first question we should be asking is, we're going to make decisions. We need to make the decisions that are best for the quality of deliverable health care in our state. Yeah. Not because the political winds are blowing it directly. Yeah. Uh, uh, absolutely. And, and both of those subjects, which do consume, in fact, as you know, education is the top budget uh, expense item, and Medicaid is number two. So uh, that the, the two of those consume, what, 70% or so, I think. 65 to 70% yeah. of our budget. And then you got um, trailing see, those corrections. You take about four of them, and you got about 90% of our budget. And everything else is just a sliver on the pie. That's exactly honestly. right. I've, I've learned. So, But you're right, because they do consume so much of, of uh, state spending, and they are so broad in that they affect every corner of the state. Education, every corner of the state. Yes, sir. Health care, every corner of the state. Uh, they, they bear careful examination and thoughtful process. You're absolutely right about that. And what I hope, Senator, is that is that um, much like what the governor did in, in, in the, uh, preceding this announcement yesterday to to make a proposal to CMS to, to increase funding in Medicaid, what I hope the legislature does is bring in subject matter experts across the various disciplines that uh, uh, that have an interest here. It, it, it's more than just uh, lawmakers, and most lawmakers, honestly, I talk to say, look, we need help. We need guidance Absolutely. on this. We do. And uh, and hopefully that we can get something done with respect to that as well. What we got lots of headwinds, shall we say, coming out of Washington that we have sort of limited <laughs> limited control over. But you know this inflation thing is is nasty. We seem to have a president that doesn't seem to really even acknowledge it's a problem. Um, we got immigrants pouring across the border. We're all so-called border states now. Have you heard anything in your district about just the the um, uh, the burden that these illegal immigrants are, are placing on our state? Have you heard anything along those lines? I, I really haven't heard a lot about it. I mean, kind of like uh, the five-mile view, you know, we need to have a control mechanism, and, and it's really simple. We have rules. 
follow yeah. the rules. They're yeah. actually not bad rules. We welcome people. We're a nation of sure. immigrants. Just come in the right way. And, and it's just hard for me to get my little mind is, why can't we have a government that enforces the rules? I mean, from a national perspective. But but I guess it hadn't hit too close to home with us as far as direct effect on the immigrants that I've seen and I've talked to. There, there may be parts of the state that is the case, though. You know, I, I will say this. I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not. I had a conversation with a state trooper, a Mississippi state trooper, last weekend. And what he told me is that when he stops motorists for just various driving violations, that uh, more than not now, they're illegals. That's what he told me. And wow. he said, he, I was shocked, honestly. It shocks me. And, yes. and what he said was, often they can't speak English or speak broken English. And when he asked for some sort of driving credentials, like a driver's license, that's pretty standard when you get pulled over. He said he's had Venezuelans hand him their Venezuela driver's license in the state of Mississippi. That was from a state trooper. This, this was crazy. That's First I've ever heard of that. That's problematic. We might need to talk to Commissioner Tyndall to just find out. You know, and I, it's probably people passing through the state. You know, that are that are committing these various driving violations. But as you well know, they're streaming across the border, and then they just disperse in the country. Um, I saw a report yesterday: five million have crossed the border into this country since President Biden uh, took office. Wow! Uh, you got five million, which is incredible. And you got uh, the mayor of New York City. Eric Adams, who's saying, crying foul, look, if we don't do something, we, we just can't, we can't support this. And he was, he referred to, we're getting 10000 a month. We had 10000 crossed two days ago in one day. That's he says, we can't handle 10000 a month, yet we're taking 10000 Now you got trains coming up from Venezuela. I know I'm belaboring this point. No. This is a huge issue that I'm afraid yes, is, is. going to start impacting. Maybe we hadn't seen a lot of it in our state, but I bet we're going to start seeing it. Seems it. like it already is. I mean, like I say, if Somebody wants to come to our state and follow our laws and pay our taxes. I mean, we All welcome with open sure. arms. Come on. And we need workers. We yeah, yeah, sure do. Sure do. And there's a legal way to do it that's just not impossible. I think that reasonable thinking people would agree with you on that. Um, but, we, you know, even when the president's press secretary was asked about it yesterday, um, she refused to answer. She said, I, I'm moving on. I'm not going to answer that. About do you, What do you think about the 10,000 that crossed the border yesterday? And there's video of it. What, in Washington, <laughs> just like we are in Jackson, we're tasked with solving problems, not just the easy ones. Right, some heavy that's very lifts true. We need to take, and as someone told me, I didn't run the rerun. If I can solve a massive problem the state has and it costs me an election, well, so be it. I'll go do something else. I understand. All right, in the uh, minute and a half or so we got left, PERS is the other thing I want to ask you about. I've been speaking trying to ask of, everybody. Uh, yeah, speaking of hard problems to solve, I've been trying to just get folks' thoughts uh, from the legislature, all lawmakers at all levels. This something's not going away. we got to do something. Simply put, I'm not in the weeds with it the way I understand it. We can fix PERS today and honor the contract with everybody that's in it. That's okay. the, those are the two pieces that, that today we can fix. Okay. Somebody's in the contract, that 13th checks what everybody's worried about. The math says we can fix it. That's what okay. I'm being told. Okay. We have to redefine. We probably have to come up with another tier for the people entering PERS, but we can fix it. It's what I'm told. We need to roll up our sleeves, and we need to try to figure it out and find that Interesting. solution. Okay. Well, I might have to dig into that. Uh, of course, as you know, the employer contribution rate is, is set to go uh, – up by five percentage points. It was supposed to be all in one fell swoop in October, right. just just around the corner. Then they moved that back to uh, July, and now they're phasing that in. Well, the so. actuaries are feeding that a little bit. One, I think, with the market doing a little bit better, the actuary feeds a little different. And then, obviously, the length of life has actually gone down a little bit. Yeah. So, so it makes that a little bit more funded than it was. So I think it takes some of the pressure Which off. is all an estimate today it's in a, time. It's very fluid. It moves <laughs> That's what actuarial science is. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> 
Well, I enjoyed the conversation, Senator. I appreciate you coming on, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. We're stepping aside for a break right here. When we come back, we've got Senator Jennifer Branning. Stay with us. Ricky, don't lose that number. It's the only one you want. You might use it if you feel better. When you get home. Ricky, don't lose that number. Ricky, don't lose that number. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is Middays, and today we're at the Mid-South Forestry Equipment Show just south of Starkville, Mississippi. Folks are pouring in here expecting uh, even a bigger crowd than the 7,500 that attended this fantastic event showcasing everything that a forester, logger would need to operate. And this is a really big deal in the state of Mississippi. We welcome to the program now Senator Jennifer Branning. She represents District 18, which includes Leek, Neshoba, and Winston counties. Serves as the chair of the Highways and Transportation Committee and the vice chair of the Judiciary A Committee. Senator, always good to see you. Thanks for having me on, Gerard. It's been a great day. Yes, it has. So... Um, this isn't actually in your patch, right? But uh, It's not in my patch. I know you want to come be on the program, yes. but uh, anything else attracts you here? These are my people here. Okay. I've been to this, this event uh, more than once, and, and I'll just say in Neshoba County, you know, uh, forestry is our main industry there. I didn't know that. And I grew up, my grandfather was a cattle farmer and a tree farmer, but over time sold the cattle, and now we, we are a tree farming family. Okay. So this is sort of in my blood, and in my private law practice, I represent law and foresters and farmers and have for many years and wow. so this is again it's been a great day I'm in Mississippi State uh, area my alma mater <laughs> and, and among uh, the people that I love to represent that's awesome yes I have seen lots of maroon passing by here today that's correct because <laughs> that's yes. where we are well we appreciate that so law around the logging and forestry industry. I gotta believe that's fairly highly specialized. Well it is and so a lot of what I do back home and, and we serve clients all over Mississippi but okay. when people are buying and selling tracts of timber you know they call me to check the title on the timber, sure. prepare the deed conveyances on the timber and and different types of consulting that go along with that so I've done that for many years and did so prior to serving in the legislature but okay. you know uh, when I was elected it really helped me to understand the needs of the industry and what I could do to serve and represent those people at the Capitol. Makes sense. And it, and it uh, composes such a large uh, amount of our economy. Absolutely. I think Senator, uh, Senator Commissioner Andy Gibson told me last time I interviewed him, nearly 39% of our economy, of the state's GDP, is from agriculture. That is correct. It's such a large economic driver of everything that we see and do. And so what I try to do as a legislator, when we're looking at policy, regardless of what committee we're in, 
particularly transportation now for sure. me, I try to look to see what impact it would have on the ag community. Yeah. And that's why we've been successful over time in doing some things for this industry. You know, back in 2017 or 18, we did some work under the harvest permit where we adjusted the axle tolerances right. for the log trucks operating under the harvest permit and other commodities too, but mainly it affects the log trucks there. And that's stuff that affects the pocketbooks of these people that are here at this event. And those are the people in my community that, that come and see me on a regular basis, and that's the real world stuff. That's why I ran for office, and so I've been very glad to be able to help these folks. Uh, then two years ago, we were able to adjust the weight limits under the harvest permit, and I haven't been able to listen to every uh, legislator on before me. This may be repetitious, but that was huge to be able to increase the weight limits from 84,000 to 88,000 pounds under the harvest permit put us right in line with Alabama and Louisiana from a competition standpoint for years and years we just could not compete with those weight limits so our guys hauling out of Mississippi into those states would lose payload yeah. And just because of a government regulation. Which is revenue for them. That's revenue. So it made all the sense in the world that we cut some red tape so that those folks can grow and prosper their businesses. And then when they prosper, we all prosper. Do you feel like that was done responsibly so as not to pose too much risk and additional cost on our roads? Absolutely. And the way we did it, we passed the law. I want to say it was 2021. It didn't go into effect until July of 2023. Okay. My plan at that time and the way it was presented is give us time to put additional dollars into the road and bridge program here, which we were able to do. You know, in 2018, in the special session that summer, and I was not even on the transportation committee at that time, but there was an effort put forward to address the emergency situation that we have for infrastructure. A $250 million bond package that established the emergency road and bridge program at that time to begin to address some of the, the dire situations that we have, particularly in the rural parts of the state. That affects this industry here. Certainly when people are, are harvesting the timber, they've got to be able to get to that timber and get sure. out and the roads have to be adequate. So to answer your question, yes, we have handled that responsibly in my opinion. Now, keep in mind that whenever the, the weight limits were increased to allow a little bit of flexibility, it decreases the amount of trucks on the road. Think okay, about it. sure, that's right. So they carry more load. They carry, that's that's exactly right. So it's not all about just increased weight. reasonable trade-off. It is a reasonable trade-off. Everybody has been thrilled about it, and so I'm just excited that we've been able to cut some red tape to help this industry. Obviously, uh, transportation infrastructure, which includes all modes of transportation, it is critical to the functioning of, of our national economy as well as the state's economy and and you serving as the chair of highways and transportation what are you proud of that you got accomplished in the last term and what do you what are you working on you think in the next we were able to place a monumental amount of money into transportation this past session, an additional $450 million toward capacity projects, an additional $100 million into the emergency road and bridge program, $30 million into multimodal, which covers you know, rail and airports and others. And so we began to shift the focus to, to remind ourselves that, you know what, our infrastructure system is a core function of government. And when we have extra cash to spend, which we did this past 
last session, we ought to be focusing a lot on transportation. We're playing catch up a little bit. I'm so proud that we were able to work with MDOT. Commissioner White was just fabulous to come to the Capitol as many times as I would call him and explain to me why the needs the way they were. What could we do? How could we do it better? And I can't tell you how, how many hours and hours we spent with, with the agency just talking through the details. You know, the devil is in the details. Yeah. And so what we did, if you'll notice, instead of sending them a budget with a lot of line items in it, and I learned the hard way. The first year that I chaired the committee, I did a terrible job. I sent them a bill with some line items of some projects that I thought were important, and I didn't understand the impact of that. But again, I began to do my work more diligently and go over to MDOT and, and just spend hours and let them teach me yeah. about what they do and how they do it. And so I began to understand if we would give them some flexibility. They're able to capitalize on the federal dollars that they receive, leverage the state dollars, you get more bang for the buck and it just makes sense. And so the last two years in a row, that's that's what we did. Certainly we've been following up on that work to make sure that it is what we what we thought it would be, sending it over to MDOT. We've been nothing but pleased. Yeah. You know, I have uh, just want to pass this on. I have been fortunate to serve on the Madison County, my home county, Economic Development Authority, uh, the last five years. And, and of course, we, we see all the potential economic development investments and projects in our county. I got to tell you, right behind workforce availability it is transportation, Absolutely. is infrastructure, and then power is right behind that. Absolutely. I mean, that's how critical that is to winning these huge economic development projects, which is how we grow our economy, create jobs, and, and really in, increase the economic welfare of everybody in our Absolutely. State. And so your next question for me was, well, what, what's my plan going forward? Yes, yes. Well, we've got to continue the work there. We've done great things since, since 2018, sort of playing catch-up, critical infrastructure. Now we were able to find a way to put dollars toward our capacity projects, which, frankly, were on hold for about 10 years. Yeah. We weren't building new stuff because we couldn't maintain what yeah. we had. Yeah. So my goal in this next session, and I did work on it some uh, last year as well. It didn't get very far. You know, sometimes large issues take a few years to sort of get yeah, across the sure. finish line. But how can we create a steady stream of revenue to continue to address the capacity needs that we have, like what you're, what you're describing in your area, as well as continued maintenance? We've got to continue to maintain the new stuff that we build as well as the old stuff. And so I did file a bill last year that, that addressed possibly some portion of the unencumbered cash balance okay. after all the bills are paid, so to speak, yeah. and grab a certain amount and designate it just for transportation infrastructure. And so that conversation has been ongoing. I'm continuing the research over the summer and the fall, continuing to talk with Brad White on a regular basis about how can we do this responsibly? What will it look like? Because I'm not finished. I, I don't feel, I feel very good about what we did last year, but look, today is a new day. We, we need to, to keep marching forward. And so what, what I want to accomplish in the, in the next session, and, and it may take a, a year or two beyond that to really get it right, is a revenue stream dedicated toward transportation infrastructure. That's what I'm looking for. Okay. Well, Executive Director White has a great understanding of all the pots of money, so to speak. Yes, and it is complicated how that works. Yes. Uh, and where that can be spent, that's another issue as, as part of that. Uh, the decisions that he and the Transportation Commissioners make as well. Absolutely. Um, so it's good that you're working with him. I'm glad to hear that and inform him. So um, any thoughts uh, before we go about the fuel tax that comes up every now and then we have a fairly low gas tax in the state of Mississippi you think there's any appetite to maybe increase that I've not heard that conversation around the Capitol in, okay. in quite a few years. Okay. I think that maybe we've moved on from that, okay. and we're looking Makes for sense. other creative solutions. Makes sense. 
appreciate it, Senator. Good to see you. Thank you for Thank you so me. much. Senator Jennifer Branning has been our guest. When we come back to wrap up today, it's Casey Anderson, Executive Director of the Mississippi Foresters Association, and Butch Bailey, President of the Mississippi Forestry Association. Stay with us. Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk, Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's middays, and I can honestly say that Will East, filling in for the vacationing rhino, has kept us entertained with all the classic rock from the 80s today. That would be 38 special bumping us into this segment. The final one on middays, live from the Mid-South Forestry Equipment Show. Joining us now, Casey Anderson, Executive Director of the Mississippi Forestry Association, and Butch Bailey, President of the Mississippi Forestry Association. I tell you what, Casey, lots of folks been coming in here today to check out all the stuff. Yeah, we've had a great turnout this morning. Um, I expect to have a lot more show up tomorrow on a pretty Saturday when we have great weather. Yeah, well, you know, as I have said uh, to others on the program today, this really is kind of a one-stop shop for everything for the loggers and the foresters. This is a place to go to see everything they need it to is. conduct their business. That's right. Pretty neat to have all that one place, and that's what this is all about. That's exactly right. Yeah, we're just south of Starkville, Mississippi. If you get a chance, folks, you ought to come out you will marvel certainly at some of that gigantic equipment there butch how has that changed the industry well it's just tremendous you know the days of people walking around in the woods with chainsaws uh those are long long gone yeah. these, these days it it's a tremendous financial investment to get in the logging industry and uh, the loggers we have are professional do a great job yeah and it's a big part of the state's economy as well it's the second biggest industry in the state you know Incredible. most most years the second biggest industry in the state Incredible. uh what about the, the we always talk about this what about the job opportunities it, it seems like everybody's looking for workers looking for people uh this industry is no exception you know, the latest numbers I saw is somewhere around 5% of all jobs in Mississippi are related to the timber industry, one wow. form, whether it's logging or trucking or sawmills or forestry. Sure. Um, yeah, there's tremendous jobs. I think good jobs in Mississippi as well. Yeah, and and as you said, when you describe kind of the work, the, the tasks today, you're working with a lot of high-tech equipment in these jobs nowadays. It, look, everything's high-tech. Yeah. It's, um, you know, people think of forestry as just walking around in the woods, and there is a lot of that. That's yeah. why I got into it. I like sure. being in the woods. <clears throat> but the but the technology and the innovation, um, you know, it's it's something else. Yeah. Casey, uh, what about your membership? How many members do you have yeah, in the association? We have around 3,000 members. Wow. Um, we 3, represent 000. anywhere from landowners, um, who are the ones that grow in the trees, to uh, manufacturers, loggers. Uh, pretty much we touch every aspect of forestry. Now, do you serve uh, kind of in the role of government relations as well? We do. So that's one of the main reasons that our uh, our members join is, is for some of the lobbying that we do at the state capitol. 
capital. Um, so that has that's that's been very beneficial to us. And we, as you've heard today, with all of um, our senators and representatives we've had uh, on the show today, we have a great relationship with them, and they're yeah. they're working really hard on behalf of our industry. And we we can't say how much we appreciate them enough. Butch, anything on the radar you and Casey might be working with with our legislature in the coming session, the coming term, which kicks off in January, that you need in your industry? Oh, sure. There's a thousand things. I'm going <laughs> to let Casey talk about uh, any legislation. I'll, I'll say this. you know, My, my focus in my, my job and my career as an extension forester is really working with landowners and making sure landowners have what they need to sure. produce the raw materials. Sure. But for legislation, take it away, Casey. <laughs> well, I think, you know, we're going to continue to work on our harvest permits every year, just making sure that that's, that's something that stays uh, the way we need it to, to be beneficial for um, our industry. I don't know of anything on the horizon currently other than we, we really need to, to do something in the workforce space. Okay. Um, I think if you look across the nation, you can see that there's a there's a need for uh, laborers. No doubt. And um, we, we're feeling that in our industry, especially with all the new... Um, the new companies that are that are, have made announcements in the past year that are going to be opening up in the next couple of years. Um, so we, we really need to look at that as a state and figure out what we can do to to help. Plus the great programs uh, not far from us, Mississippi State as, right. as well, right? Yeah, it's one of the best forestry programs in the entire country is Mississippi State University. We we produce, you know, we call them dirt foresters. You know, guys that are ready to go right out of the gate, go to work in the woods for forestry companies and individuals all over the world. We're pretty proud of our undergraduate program here at Mississippi State. Well, and the hope is we had a, had a graduate on a couple of sessions, uh, segments ago, I should say, that they stay right here in Mississippi as well. There's plenty of jobs uh, waiting for them. We are a forestry state. Yeah, we got jobs for you right here in Mississippi. Yeah. So, um, you, you expecting some deals to get cut, Casey? What I mean by that, you got loggers, foresters that are that are going through the exhibit. I know they're talking to the vendors. I bet some of that ends up being consummated sales. I, I sure hope so. I mean, that's 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 <laughs> part, part of the reason why we're here is is that they can um, hopefully make some connections and some good. Uh, sales connections if that's what it is or you know there are people out here that may be looking for jobs that's uh, true. i mean so yeah. that that's another part of this and something else you got to be proud of is uh, just the number of students that oh, come through yeah. uh, the exhibit as well that's yeah. right we had over 600 students um attend wow. this year um that's that's a, such a great turnout we couldn't be happier and it's good that they get exposed exactly to opportunities right. in this industry and i think it's important that you know like butch said people aren't uh, uh, out in the woods with with uh, yeah. saws anymore. These this equipment that you're seeing out here is so high tech, and the, what these kids don't understand is it's they're not going to be out in the woods sweating. These these are indoor uh, or not indoor, but they're air conditioned. In, uh, in the cab, in cab. The, yeah, it's really more right. like a cockpit. It is. It is. All right. Uh, a Super Talk Mississippi yeah. media production.